The U.S. economy is firing on just about all cylinders. We say just about because one of the few sectors that isn't doing so well is the housing market. Purchases are slowing down, builders aren't building so much, and some people are even reluctant to post their properties for sale. Should we blame mediocre wage gains? Is it the Federal Reserve's fault for raising interest rates? Or is something bigger going on? Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. Ten years after the global financial crisis, America's housing market has come back somewhat, though nothing like the gangbusters pace in the 2000s, which was fueled by subprime lending and lax regulation. But it seems to be stuck in slow gear compared with the rest of the economy. In fact, for four out of five recent quarters, the residential real estate market has actually dragged down the pace of GDP growth. Later on the program, we'll talk about whether this cooling in the housing market will spread and help trigger a recession like it did in 2007. But first, let's dig into the details of why housing is slowing down in the U.S. Prashant Gopal is a reporter in Bloomberg's Boston Bureau. He's been covering the national real estate market since 2004. Prashant, thanks for being with us on Benchmark. Great to be here. So, Prashant, what's the number one culprit behind this housing slowdown? Affordability, I'd say, but the, the big change is mortgage rates. And how have those mortgage rates changed? Okay, so you know, a year ago, rates were probably, if you think about your typical 30-year fixed rate mortgage, um, it was about a percentage point cheaper a year ago. So a lot of folks would say, hey, mortgage rates are still affordable. Yes, that's true if you look at it from a historic perspective, but think about the fact that we have these home prices where they are and baked into those home prices are even lower mortgage rates. So as rates rise, uh, you know, there's a potential to maybe puncture the bubble a little bit. And why has affordability become such an issue? Well, you know, if you think about the kind of gains in home prices we've had now for years, they've way outpaced incomes. So if you have sort of year upon year of, um, you know, in some areas, skyrocketing home prices and uh, wage gains that are now are picking up a little bit, but still are nowhere near, uh, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12% uh, year on year gains. And then you layer on top of that a jump in mortgage rates. Um, you could see how affordability becomes an issue. But it's not just the increases in, you know, the prices that have been an issue for home buyers. It's that there's just so few homes on the market. Why is that? Right. So builders coming out of the downturn were a little battle scarred. So they were reluctant to kind of uh, sort of go gangbusters and build the way they did in the last cycle. So they've been sort of, you know, building modestly and they, they, they were building more on the higher end and really where the demand is on the, is on the lower end and that there just aren't enough starter homes in this country. So folks trying to leave their apartments and, and uh, you know, get their first house are going out to the market and they're finding, you know, houses, you know, excuse my French, like crappy houses that are, you know, houses in terrible shape you know, maybe in their price range or, you know, just nothing. So that's really the issue. And it's not just 
builders, you know, not really building at the lower, more affordable end, but it's people that won't even leave their houses after they've been living in them for a long time. You've written about this, right? Yeah, I, I did a story about uh, baby boomers and, and, the, and the generation older than that sort of hanging on, um, aging in place. So they're, you know, why, why move and sort of enter this crazy housing market? You know, why not just kind of stay where you are and add on to your house, etc.? And so that's what a lot of people are, are, are doing. And as a result... There are fewer listings on the market. And, you know, uh, you know I, I wrote actually about a guy who was in Philadelphia, a 20-something, who would, was riding on his bike, knocking on older people's doors, trying to get them to sell their houses. I don't think it actually worked, but that, that shows how desperate things are. And, you know, the other issue now you have is when, when mortgage rates rise, there's a lock-in effect. So people who, uh, you know, people just don't want to give up their great rate. Maybe they refinanced and they got below 4%. So why sell and then have to take on a higher mortgage rate? Uh, another issue that uh, we've heard about is the new tax law, which went into effect in January. Of course, it's called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It did cut some taxes, but it actually went in the other direction when it came to the deductions that people could take for mortgage interest and property taxes. And, and those have been pretty favorable to people in high-cost areas, high-tax areas, such as the New York City region. How has this played a role in the housing market this year? Right. So there, there are some benefits to people who are, who are wealthier, you know, people in, in businesses. But So, so there, that, that's a positive. But when you look at the housing market, what it's done, or it seems to be doing, is driving people out of these areas with very high taxes. You know, Westchester County is sort of, it's probably the place with the highest property taxes in the entire country. That's you know, just north of New York City. So that people there don't don't want to live there. I'm hearing about people who are now buying in Connecticut, which is a market that was really in terrible shape, buying there because the taxes in Westchester are too high. Other people are just sort of looking to, to establish residence in, in, in Florida where there are, no, uh, there are no income taxes and, you know, the property taxes are a lot lower. So that's driving some wealthier people to maybe buy their retirement house early. Let's go back to some of the issues facing builders. You know, something that we often hear about, it tends to be more of a local story, but you add it all up and it can really have a national impact. Uh, our, our zoning laws or zoning rules at the local level, how does that affect how builders build and how much they can build and what kind of houses they can build? So, you know, thinking about where a lot of the development happens, it's actually, you can build in cities. Those tend to be very dense developments, and, but there's a limitation often on how much you can build in a city, and it's, it's usually quite expensive to build in a city. But further out in the suburbs um, and, and beyond that, in the exurbs, residents don't like dense development. So they, they don't like it because they think it bring it adds more, you know, kids to the schools and, and traffic and, and just headaches. And so they, they just don't want it. So there's been, I think, sort of a resistance to, to do what probably would make some sense, um, just, just to bring in more affordable housing. Is this why builders have to build large houses in the suburbs and exurbs and not, you know, they can't 
split up the lots into smaller lots and maybe build that, you know, the four $250,000 houses instead of the one $1 million house. Yeah, I was just talking to a builder who was saying exactly that. So they're, they're saying that, you know, they'd like to do a townhouse development or, you know, just a more dense development. But in some towns, they actually craft zoning laws in such a way that it sort of directs development to, to larger houses and things like that. The ways you can write it so it just only a large house works. So that that's kind of what they're up against in some places. And what about the labor situation with home builders? Is the tight job market and the Trump administration's crackdown on undocumented immigrants having an impact on developers' ability to, you know, to keep building to build the houses that even that they're they're already planning to build? I can't tell you for sure, but I I, I just hear builders talk about how the labor crisis keeps getting worse. And, you know, there was, you know, the, you, you, you could imagine that a lot of people are in this environment from, from Mexico in particular, um, may not be eager to kind of come into the country and, and take the risks of getting deported. So, yeah, I mean, that only exacerbates the problem. You know, you have uh, this real desperate need for labor right now. And builders are saying they, they would build more if they, if they had it. So, Prashant, we, we've talked about a, a whole range of issues affecting the housing market here. You've covered this industry, as we said, for more than a decade. How, how does it look to you now compared with, say, in, in the, you know, the boom times in the mid-2000s? Is it going to pick up from here? I know you can't make predictions, but... Or are these constraints kind of really here to stay for, for quite a while? It's a little hard to say. I, I mean, I covered actually, I was covering the housing market during the boom uh, last time around, and then I covered the crash. And I remember during the boom that, you know, I wrote a, actually a series of stories for this paper in New Jersey about how this could be a bubble. And I got so much pushback from the industry. They just didn't believe that this could happen. And then, you know, lo and behold, maybe six months after my series, home prices started to soften. Um, now we're in a situation where um, I think there's a general kind of understanding that the market is changing. I think, I think maybe we learned something from the crash. But in some ways, so much of real estate is psychological. So if people start believing that we're heading for you know a downturn it could uh, it could bring on some of that so so you know it's hard to really know where things are heading it's hard to know but for the latest news on the housing market prashant they should definitely follow your stories closely prashant gopal thank you so much for joining us on benchmark thanks scott
Now for a broader perspective, we're joined by Yelena Shalyatyeva. She's a senior economist at Bloomberg Economics in New York. Yelena, welcome back to Benchmark. Thank you. Yelena, we just heard from Prashant Gopal uh, all sorts of reasons why the housing market is not doing so well right now. How would you sum up uh, the reasons for this underperformance in housing? I would say it's a case with uh, many things uh, in the economy. There is no one single explanation. I think the housing sector sluggishness uh, stems from both supply and demand. And I think that the most recent underperformance is likely a result of a backup in rates and mortgage rates. They went up by about uh, a full percentage points uh, point since uh, the beginning of the year, similar to what happened back in 2013 when we had uh, the taper tantrum. So rates rose uh, quite uh, rapidly after Chairman Bernanke spoke and spooked the market so that uh, the long the long-term yields went up and with them went up uh, the mortgage rates. And we saw a consistent decline in uh, uh, home sales following that episode. I think uh, after this time, the increase in uh, mortgage rates this time around, we're going to see uh, a streak of weak economic data this year in, in terms of sales and starts, and uh, that will filter into residential investment in GDP. However, despite all these uh, short-term reasons, I think there are some uh, structural changes in the housing market. And there is significant shortage of uh, labor, for sure. And uh, it's been a problem, and that has been holding down the pace of housing starts in this cycle. I think that is definitely leading to the, the issues. But I would also like to mention low productivity growth in the residential construction sector, particularly in the single-family housing. So that's been an issue for quite some time, and I think that is also holding down uh, the pace of residential investment in this cycle. And there's been a structural change in terms of how households organized. So people cohabiting much more uh, in this cycle, and it's actually... Not a very cyclical thing. It's more of a structural change. And I think uh, there is some data from uh, the Pew Research Center. And uh, that shows that about a third of uh, all 25 to 29-year-olds lived with their parents or grandparents in 2016. That is almost three times as many as uh, back in 1970. So, so, so millennials living in their parents' basement, that still hasn't changed a whole lot. <laughs> Absolutely. That hasn't changed. And I think it's not going to change that much. People always talk about pent-up demand from this. I think that is changing very slowly, and it's still a big issue. And I do see this in my neighborhood as well, just uh, anecdotally. So I think uh, we're still going to see that happening and holding down the pace of housing demand. When, when you talk about higher mortgage rates, is there any sector of the economy that's so sensitive to rising interest rates as the housing market? The good example uh, is always auto sales. So they also fluctuate uh, with changes in rates. But I think housing is probably the best example of the most interest rate sensitive sector. And it's pretty clear that the Federal Reserve is likely to continue raising interest rates over the next year or so, correct? Look, they're not going to stop to save housing. 
that's for sure. So they have uh, their dual mandate. They have their financial stability issues. So housing, after all, uh, is only 4% of uh, the economy. So I don't think that uh, they will stop doing what they are supposed to do just to save the housing sector. So in other words, you don't think that the slowdown in the housing market is likely to trigger any uh, major disruption in the broader economy the way that it did in the mid-2000s that led to the, the housing crisis. Is that right? Not really. So housing did not play a significant role on the way up this time around, and it's probably not going to mess things up on the way down. The thing that I really like to look at is uh, something called household debt-to-income ratio. That plunged after the Great Recession, and it has not shown uh, any signs of a pickup in this cycle. So basically, households are not over-leveraging, and uh, that what uh, really caused the last housing crisis uh, to a large degree, and this is not going to be a factor this time around. But it, it wasn't just households over-leveraging. It was also that all kinds of uh, crazy financial products that Wall Street created and lending standards had, had gotten pretty low, that there was these kind of hidden weaknesses in the financial system. Uh, do you feel that regulators and the Fed have gotten more control over these issues and that, that Wall Street hasn't gotten quite as uh, out there in in the products this time? Sure. Well, obviously, it's a much broader issue. And uh, there are always some unknown unknowns, right, that can cause the next crisis. So nobody's going to guarantee this time it's not going to be an issue. But I think uh, in terms of how to compare the situation right now to what uh, we saw back in 2005, and leading to the the housing bars, it's definitely much better uh, this time around. And uh, the Fed is really watching very closely the situation and uh, all the financial stability metrics. And the regulation, as you mentioned, has definitely taken care of a lot of things that went wrong back in 2005, six, and uh, going into the recession. So you're saying, Yelena, that it's a slowdown, but it's going to be a boring slowdown this time, right? Well, the way to look at it is that uh, residential investment has added uh, a few tenths of a percent to economic growth each year since 2012. And uh, residential investment is projected to subtract this year from economic growth. And this, this will be the first year of residential investment subtracting from growth since 2010. But again, this will be a very small subtraction. It's not going to really change things, which is basically economic growth is strong, the economy remains robust, and consumers are leading uh, growth in the economy. All right. On that optimistic note, let's end it there. Yelena Shelyatova, Senior U.S. Economist at Bloomberg Economics in New York. Thanks so much for joining us on Benchmark. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Benchmark will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as podcast destinations such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Scott Landman. Our guest, Prashant Gopal, is at M-R-G-O-P-A-L. 
and you can follow at economics for all of Bloomberg's economic coverage. Benchmark is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 